Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Well, this is live from New Orleans. It's been a while since I could say that. Well, I could say it. Doesn't mean it's true, you know, in this day and age. Hey, what the frack? Elevated concentrations of strontium. Does that word ring a bell with anybody old enough to remember atomic bombs? Strontium, an element associated with oil and gas wastewaters now, according to Science Daily. Elevated concentrations of that uh, element have accumulated, guess where? In the shells of freshwater mussels. Well, you know, oh, downstream from fracking wastewater disposal sites. So disposal only in the loosest sense of the word, apparently. This is according to researchers from Penn State and Union College. Freshwater mussels filter water. Why don't you put them in, your, uh, in our kitchen faucets then? And when they grow a hard shell, the shell material records some of the water quality with time, says one of the leaders of the study. Like tree rings, you can count back the seasons and the years in their shell and get a good idea of the quality and chemical composition of the water during specific periods of time. Uh, way back in 2011, it was discovered that despite treatment, water and sediment downstream from fracking wastewater disposal sites still contained fracking chemicals and had become radioactive. So disposal in that special way. In turn, drinking water was contaminated and aquatic life, such as the freshwater mussel, was dying. So Pennsylvania requested that wastewater treatment plants not treat and release water from fracking drilling. As a result, the uh, industry turned to recycling most of its wastewater, i.e. re-injecting it into the earth, where it couldn't hurt anybody. However, researchers are still covering, recovering, uncovering the long-lasting effects, especially during the three-year boom, when more than 2.9 billion liters of wastewater were released into Pennsylvania's waterways. Well, that's not a... Freshwater pollution is a major concern for both ecological and human health, says a co-author of the study. Developing ways to retroactively document this pollution is important to shed light on what's happening. In our streams. Hey, what's happening in our streams? And um, twice this week, a new fracking operation in Lancashire, Lancashire, in, uh, I know that's a, an American way of saying it, Lancashire in Great Britain has shut down temporarily. Don't worry, because uh, each time it was operating, it was associated with an earthquake. But, you know, England has earthquakes. Very, very small earthquakes. Nobody felt it. You know, only the machines felt it. But they got scared. Now, speaking of fear, ladies and gentlemen, it's uh, it's an interesting week we've been going through here in the United States of America. And I think it's fair to say that when uh, when one calls one's opponents bad people and evil, um. Uh, some messages might land in unsettled brains. Similarly, and I'm not being both sidest here, but just just observing, calling someone guilty of treason without any hard evidence of that fact or that uh, a- a- allegation might lodge in some other people's unstable brains. But I, I uh, I'm wondering if there if there isn't more to the story than what we've been discussing this week. And by we, I mean y'all. 
This is a country that can uh, turn in a pendular fashion almost on a dime. I mean, think about the speed with which we went from somebody possessing a joint doing 10 hard years in jail. That would be under the Reagan administration. To now, where in California, there are billboards advertising a, a service that will deliver marijuana to your house. So you don't even have to go out. Um, of course, you could do that when it was illegal, too, but they didn't have billboards about it. And similarly, the speed with which Americans' attitudes, according to polls and then according to legislation, changed on the matter of same-sex marriage. So we, 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 you know, as you know from my Apology of the Week thing, I'm often derisive about uh, apologies that, uh, as some will today, include the phrase, some variant in the phrase, this is not who we are. And you're hearing it now. And I'm wondering if this is, in a way, who we are. Um, we've had a history, I know, history, America, oil and water. We've had a history about 300 years, not just of slavery, but if you read uh, the book Slavery by Another Name, of a, another almost half century of something real close to it, followed by the war on drugs, which uh, involved mass incarceration in a totally disproportionate way of um, young African-American males. That's statistically true. And so, you know, we, we kind of, since the, at least the civil rights era, have been digging ourselves out of a very deep hole, we, the United States of America. And that digging um, was recently climaxed, of course, with the election of the first African-American president. It's almost logical to think that in a country that can be host such to such rapid pendular moves, there might have been predictable a reaction in the opposite direction to the pre advent of the first African-American president, and that the current occupant of the White House rode that wave and, and of course, was paddling furiously to I increase its uh, amplitude. But if not him, maybe... Maybe somebody else. Not a TV star, though. I know. It's, it's, it's all frightening. Hello, welcome to the show. And happy Halloween. I scare myself just thinking about you. I scare myself when I'm without you. I scare myself the moment that you're gone. I scare myself when I let my thoughts run. And when they're running, I keep thinking of you. You. When they're running, what can I? It can get frightening I scare myself To think what I could do I scare myself It's some kind of voodoo And with that voodoo I keep thinking of you 
from New Orleans, Louisiana. Right, right, right by the lake. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, let's go to the land of 15,000 princes. Remember uh, that whole thing about uh, Jamal Khashoggi being murdered in the uh, Saudi consulate in Istanbul? Yeah, seems so long ago, doesn't it? Well, we are told the uh, the investigation is still going. That has got to be either a really, really good investigation or no investigation at all. Meanwhile, you remember that big conference that was going to be held in Riyadh uh, from which uh, a number of leading American CEOs absented themselves in the wake of the murder? Well, guess what? According to the South China Morning Post, Saudi, Arab, Asian, and African leaders and investors, undeterred by that crisis and allegations of the Crown Prince's involvement, took the place of prominent Western CEOs and government ministers who had withdrawn their participation in the conference. Their withdrawal, says the Post, had more to do with optics than with making a statement that would hit home. For example, despite canceling his participation in the conference, U.S. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin popped up in Riyadh why, a day before the conference to discuss ways to combat terrorism financing with Prince Mohammed. Well, what would Saudi Arabia have to do with terrorism? F- oh, some Western CEOs traveled to Riyadh to linger in the conference corridors, even if they did not want to be seen in the hall. Meanwhile, beyond the limelight, the Post reports business continued as usual. Saudi media reported the 25 memorandums, or memoranda, I would say, of understanding worth more than $50 billion had been signed on the conference's first day in the oil, gas, industries, and infrastructure sectors. Uh, sectors. Firms such as Total, Total Hyundai, Schlumberger, Halliburton, Halliburton, and some others. Prince Mohammed is likely to conclude from the conference that despite his tarnished image, much of the world, including those who didn't want to be seen with him publicly, is keen to continue doing business with him. Well, it's business. It's business, it's business. And, in case you missed it, hundreds of people who work at a so-called troll farm. What do you fertilize that with? In Riyadh, to smother the voices of dissidents in Saudi Arabia, the push appears to include the grooming, not previously reported, of a Saudi employee at a Twitter whom Western intelligence officials suspected of spying on user accounts just to help the Saudi leadership. This is from the New York Times. Saudi operatives have mobilized to harass critics on Twitter, while the popular platform for news in the kingdom since the Arab Spring. The um, Saudis had hoped Twitter would democratize discourse, but Saudi Arabia has instead become an illustration of how authoritarian governments can manipulate social media to silence or drown out critical voices. Before his death, Khashoggi was launching projects to combat online abuse and to try to reveal that Crown, Crown Prince Mohammed was mismanaging the country. You can't do that. That's bad for business. One arm of the crackdown on dissidents originates from offices and homes in and around Riyadh. Hundreds of young men there hunt on Twitter for voices and conversations to silence. That's the troll farm. Its directors routinely discuss ways to combat dissent 
settling on sensitive themes like the war in Yemen. Yeah, that's a really nice war. Or women's rights. They then turned to their well-organized army of social media specialists, group chats and WhatsApp and Telegram, sending them lists of people to threaten, insult, and intimidate. Daily tweet quotas to fill. Hey, who doesn't have that? And pro-government messages to augment. The uh, troll farm was described by three people briefed on the project and the messages. So nobody is actually involved, talk to the Times. The bosses also send memes that their employees can use to mock dissenters. The specialists scour Twitter for conversations on the assigned topics and post messages from the several accounts each run. Sometimes when contentious discussions take off, they publish pornographic images to goose engagement. If you're engaged to a goose, you really don't belong on Twitter. I'm just going to say, Jack, hey, at Jack, get the goose engagers off with their own posts and distract users from more relevant conversations. If one account is blocked by too many other users, they simply close it open a new one. <clears throat> Sounds like with the Russians. Oh, but no, the Russians are... But these are our f- the uh, freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and that uh, brings us to the very next thing on the agenda in today's program, a little thing I like to call News of the Godly. Does the phrase orphanage mass graves or mass grave uh, strike you as odd, a bit inappropriate, a bit quixotic? Ireland's government has just approved a forensic exa- uh, excavation pardon me, of a Catholic-run orphanage where a mass grave containing the remains of hundreds of children was discovered. Children's minister announced the excavation and recovery of remains. There'll be respectful burial where possible. This follows a report from a judge-led commission that confirmed last year that the former Bon Secours mother and baby home in County Galway had an underground sewage structure divided into 20 chambers containing, quote, significant quantities of human remains, unquote. Church-run homes in Ireland housed orphans, unmarried pregnant women, and their babies for most of the 20th century. That was a good century, wasn't it? The institutions have been subject to intense public scrutiny since a local historian four years ago tracked down death certificates for nearly 800 children who died as residents of the facility but could find a burial record for only one. Investigators later found a mass grave containing remains of babies and young children (laughs) from the grounds of the home which closed in 1961. The mass grave scandal was raised with Pope Francis when he visited Ireland a couple months ago. He called it a shameful chapter. No, sorry. The the children's minister called it a shameful chapter of recent Irish history. The Pope urged the Irish church to make reparations to the home's survivors for its role. Reparations. Interesting. News of the Godly. Followed immediately by News of the Warm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but why would we? 
a prized caterpillar fungus that is more valuable than gold is nicknamed Himalayan Viagra. It's uh, seen as a wonder drug in Asia, but it's becoming harder to find due to climate change, according to researchers. People in China and Nepal have been killed in clashes over the years over the elusive fungus. Yarchagumba. Yarchagumba. You hear that yelled at football games, don't you? Although it has no scientifically proven benefits. Science. People who boil Yarchagumba in water to make tea or add it to soups and stews believe it cures everything from impotence to cancer. Maybe it's the soup. It's one of the world's most valuable biological commodities, providing a crucial source of income for uh, hundreds of thousands of collectors, said the report in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, peer-reviewed U.S. journal. In recent decades, the fungus has skyrocketed in popularity. While many have suspected over-harvesting was the reason for its current scarcity, researchers interviewed about four dozen harvesters, collectors, and traders. They examined previously published scientific literature. Weather patterns, geographic factors, and environmental conditions were also analyzed. Using data spanning nearly two decades in four countries, we revealed the caterpillar fungus production is declining throughout much of its range. The finding is important because it calls attention to how highly valuable species are susceptible not only to over-harvesting, but also to climate change, says the lead author of the study. This means that even if people start reducing the amount they harvest, production will likely to continue to dwindle as a result of ongoing climate changes. Researchers were, though, unable to tell which factor over-harvesting or climate change had a larger impact on the fungus. But science says it doesn't work. Shelled marine creatures living in increasingly acidified oceans face a fight for survival as the impacts of climate change spread, according to a new study. Researchers from the University of Tsukuba in Japan and the University of Plymouth in Britain assessed the impact of rising carbon dioxide levels on the large predatory triton shell gastropod. I love having a, a, f- a fine meal and a pint at a gastropod. They found those living in regions with predicted future levels of CO2 were on average around a third smaller, these gastropods, than counterparts living in conditions seen throughout the world's oceans. Today, there was enough, also a noticeable negative impact on the thickness, density, and structure of their cells causing visible deterioration to the shell surface. Scientists writing in Frontiers of Marine Science say the effects are down to the increased stresses placed on the species in waters where the pH is lower. You see, that's where they can sort of replicate what the rest of the oceans are going to look like soon. That reduces their ability to control the calcification process. I can't control it, so I I don't even know how they do it. And they've warned other shellfish. No, they haven't warned other shellfish. They have warned that other shellfish, nice writing, are likely to be impacted in the same way, threatening their survival and that of other species that rely on them for food. Thank God we don't eat. The United Nations Climate Report had some stunning revelations. Some say its authors were being too cautious. A number of scientists contend the report wasn't strong enough and that it downplayed the full extent of the real threat. You remember how dire it sounded when it was released at the beginning of this month. They say it doesn't account for all the warming that has already occurred and that it downplays the economic costs of severe storms and displacement of people through drought and deadly heat waves. We're closer to the 1.5 centigrade uh, Celsius and 2.0 Celsius thresholds than they indicate, and our available carbon budget for avoiding these thresholds is considerably smaller than they imply, says Michael Mann. He's a professor of atmospheric science and director of Earth System Science Center 
at Penn State. You know, the, uh, the place with the football coach. P- the Paterno place. In other words, they paint an overly rosy scenario by ignoring some relevant liter- literature. I almost went Tom Broke on that. <laughs> Insects around the world are in a crisis, according to a small but growing number of long-term studies showing dramatic declines in invertebrate populations. We'll grow a backbone, babe. A new report suggests the problem is more widespread than scientists realized. A report in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences is all shows the startling loss of insect abundance extends to the Americas. The, sci- the authors implicate climate change in the loss of tropical invertebrates. It's a real, real wake-up call, a clarion call that the phenomenon could be much, much bigger and across many more ecosystems. An expert in invertebrate conservation. <laughs> I, I Personally, I think there are too many insects, but that's just me. He was not involved with this research. He added, this is one of the most disturbing articles I have ever read. Energy sector carbon emissions will rise this year after hitting record levels Last year, dimming prospects for meeting the Paris Treaty goals, according to the International Energy Agency. The energy sector accounts for 80% of global CO2 emissions, the rest caused by deforestation and agriculture. So its performance is key. I'm sorry I have very bad news for you, says the executive director of the IEA, to guests at a diplomatic function hosted by the Polish embassy in Paris. And the bad news wasn't that they were at the Polish embassy. Emissions this year will increase once again, and we're going to have a meeting when global emissions reach a record high. They remained flat for three years, total global CO2 emissions did, but uh, they rose by 1.4% last year, dashing hopes that they had peaked. What good are hopes if they can't be dashed? As winter in New England seems to get warmer, fall lingers longer, and spring comes into bloom earlier. Areas like northern New Hampshire and western Maine are seeing an unusual continued increase in winter ticks. Well, there are your insects right there, which are endangering the moose population. Researchers at the University of New Hampshire have found the swell of infestations of the parasite, which attaches itself to moose during the fall and feeds throughout the winter, is the primary cause of an unprecedented 70% death rate of calves over a three-year period. The iconic moose is rapidly becoming the new poster child for climate change in parts of the Northeast, says Pete Pekins. Maybe they mean Perkins, a a professor of wildlife ecology. This is from phys.org. Normally, anything over a 50% death rate would concern us. At 70%, we're looking at a real problem in the moose population. The study was published in the Canadian, Canadian Journal of Zoology. Most adult moose did survive the infestation of winter ticks, but were severely compromised. They were thin and anemic from losing so much blood. The ticks appear to be harming reproductive health, so there's also less breeding. So less fun for moose. The researchers say winter tick epidemics typically go for one or two years, but five of the last ten has shown a rare frequency of tick infestations, which reflects the influence of climate change. News of the warm, ladies and gentlemen. Gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
from New Orleans, this is the show. And ladies and gentlemen, it, 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 it's, it's a smart world. And doggone it, it's getting smarter every day. That's maybe, maybe what we want. Or Apple's self-styled computational photography. There's a new phrase. Computational photography. This is an approach that involves the software doctoring the photos you take in ways that are not transparent to you and that may not produce the effect you want. Aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln, this is from Ars Technica. That issue is at the heart of a minor, minor scandal involving the phone's launch, the new iPhone XS. Oh, that's so much better than the X. XS. XS. I get it. Nothing exceeds like excess. Uh, the scandal that some dubbed, of course, inevitably, Beautygate. Users who took selfies with the front-facing camera found that the resulting images looked a little bit glossed over. Skin was unrealistically smooth, with blemishes and details missing, similar to what you'd see with a beauty filter. <laughs> who doesn't use one of those? Some users took, I guess everybody... That's not on Instagram. Some users took to forums to speculate that Apple did this deliberately because these kinds of filters are popular in one of its largest markets. No. China. And in social messaging apps like Snapchat. However, Apple told The Verge, it's a website, that the behavior is in fact a bug and that a fix is coming in the next operating system. Your, your, your camera is screwed up until the next operating system. Are you okay? Okay, okie dokie with that. The issue is reportedly related to the smart HDR feature in the iPhone, which shoots a buffer of four frames for every photo, along with interframes at different exposures. This is done in part to reduce shutter lag, but it also presents the phone's software and hardware with the opportunity to quickly analyze and compare every frame to make smart decisions about which frame to use, which things to highlight, and so on. According to Apple, smart HDR would sometimes choose a frame with a long shutter speed, which led to images in which fine details were lost. The problem was exacerbated by the fact that the front-facing camera does not have optical image stabilization, you know, to get rid of your hand jitter. The company says the new operating system will be, be, bring about a fix that it is meant to make the phone use frames that show more detail instead. They, uh, they're they not saying when it's going to come out. So just don't, just, just don't use your camera until then, okay? Apple isn't the only company to employ these sorts of methods for touching up photos behind the scenes using powerful image processors. And machine learning is a trend in today's phones for a reason. It's an extremely promising way to make up for the limitations inherent in phone camera optics. It does have the downside, says Ars Technica, of taking some control away from the user. You didn't, you didn't want that control, did you? Really? No? Did you really? You know, control it. Control is so overrated. Come on. It's a smart world. You don't need it. And now, ladies and gentlemen, um, kind of lost, understandably, not, not only uh, the Saudi thing, but also lost in the horrific news this week, the bombings and the shootings. The stuff, as President <laughs> President Trump referred to them in a tweet. That was Twitter Trump, not teleprompter Trump. 
But Lost, I say, say is another. New York Times is having trouble leading the, uh, the news agenda like it used to. It used to be you'd turn on the TV news and the lead story was, was the, basically grew out of the lead story in that morning's New York Times. They, that was just a, a, a known fact that New York Times led the agenda. Now, in the last three weeks, two major pieces by the Times, one that they thought so highly of, they printed it twice because it didn't get enough traction the first time about uh, Trump's history of tax avoidance or evasion or fraud. And this one have generated virtually no traction at all. This piece was about how American intelligence agencies have figured out that China and Russia are eavesdropping on the calls that Trump makes from his iPhones. This is him disregarding the advice of his security experts to not use iPhones because of their lack of security. The president has continued to use a cell phone despite those warnings. China is now believed, said the Times, to be using what it's learning from the calls, how he thinks, what arguments tend to sway him, and whom he's inclined to listen to, to try to influence the president and avoid a further escalation of a trade war. He jumped on the news. He, he, he at least reacted. He uh, jumped on the news, writing on Twitter, the so-called experts on Trump at the Times had written a boring article. It was so riddled with errors, I do not have the time here to correct it. <laughs> Didn't expect that reaction, but that's okay. Yeah, it is okay. Um, he added, I only use government phones and have only one, one seldom used government cell phone. So, story is so wrong. Yet the Times quotes as its sources, people, friends of Trump and uh, some administration officials who are concerned about the possible security th- threat. He did acknowledge that he used a cell phone to uh, make calls. I rarely use a cell phone, and when I do, it's government authorized, he says. According to the Times report, it is the use of any cell phone, government issued or not, that's the problem. The vulnerabilities exploited by China and Russia have nothing to do with his actual devices. They're intercepted as they travel through the cell towers, cables and switches that make up the national and international cell phone networks, said the officials. You know, um, there's no uh, proof yet that uh, those calls are being intercepted. Except I think one has been. Tom Barrick. Tom, Tom, it's Donald. Uh, Mr. President, are are you calling from your landline? What are you, the the, the, the Secret Service? (laughs) Tom, I'm not a baby. I'm calling from my iPhone, like always. What am I supposed to do? Go back to my terrible little office every time I want to talk with you? I'm always glad to hear from you, sir. It's just Tom, if it was up to the lying media, I should only be calling people on some uh, white sheet or some uh, white paper or something. A white list? Yeah. Then if I do that, I'm a friggin' racist. (laughs) Look, anyway, I wanted to uh, take a temperature on something. Mm -hmm. Have to do it. Well, I was uh, doing a board meeting, but uh, hold on. Cassie, Cassie, tell the board I'll be uh, five minutes late. What, you think they'll get rid of me that quick? <laughs> you know me better than that. Uh, Cassie, ten minutes. Okay, sir. All ears. Don't be so hard on yourself. You better look into that. With the right light. Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. Okay, look. Uh, the bombings, the shootings, mm-hmm. horrible stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You heard my prompter speeches. I was nice, okay? 
You were extremely presidential, sir. Not too presidential, though, right? No. Can't do that. No, just presidential enough. But then we got an election coming. Mm -hmm. You know, I say I'm not on the ballot, but I'm on the ballot, right? No, it's a very concise way of putting it. Yeah, precise, concise. It's all size, right? No. But, so I got to still jack up my base. I mean, that's as elementary as Watson, right? It's a, it's a very fine line you have to walk there. I agree. I mean, it, it's harder this time because I got like twin messages. A, I've given you everything I said I would, and you're very, very happy. Mm -hmm. And two, be very scared because the Democrats in their caravan are going to take it all away. It's uh, be happy and be scared at the same time. It's like having your birthday on Halloween or something. But me personally, I think you've uh, struck the right balance, of course, the minute you get pugilistic, the media is going to come after you. Then I'll come after them, then they'll blame me for that. So far, so good, right? Mm -hmm. But then, at the same time, we got this Saudi thing. I mean, Tom, mm -hmm. when did you ever know me to have to put together three different deals at the same time? Crazy, right? Well, presidency is the biggest burden in the world, sir. Sort of the price of being the most famous person in the world, in a way. In a very crazy, unfair way. So... My CIA chief, Gina, mm. she comes back from Turkey, right? Mm. She's heard the tape. She's seen the pictures. She mm. says to me, she hasn't seen anything so horrible since she used to supervise her waterboarding. But, you know, that's not really women's work anyway, right? Well, I have to realize that. Mm. So, now, my Turkish friend, Mr. Erdogan, mm. I call him Kenobi. He doesn't even get the joke. He doesn't even, he doesn't even chuckle. He's pushing me to heavy up on the Saudis, to do a real number on them. And Jim Mattis, Lapdog Mattis. Well, I, I thought his name was uh, Mad Dog. It was till I got to know him. Well. Crazy stink. A general who doesn't like war. That's like me hating real estate. <laughs> Which, you know, wait, I, I, I do. But yeah, yeah. he's saying we need the Saudis. Mm -hmm. And Larry Kudlow is saying that we need the arms deal. Mm -hmm. And Jared, don't tell anybody, but I call him Baby Jared. Well. He's begging me not to blow up this Mideast thing, which to me is like about to be the biggest flop since the new Rosie O'Donnell talk show. Uh, sir, I'm not sure that uh, you're supposed to be uh, discussing CIA matters with me over... Tom, Tom, I love you like a brother, <laughs> but I'm not getting into a little skiff with you, believe me. Those things are tinier than the apartments my father used to rent in Queens. Well, but the security people said it's Chinese, uh, not to mention the Russians. And the Israelis. Mm. Hi, Bibi, how are you? Listen, Tom. Nobody knows more about the importance of keeping secrets. Has to do it. Well, but, uh, Stormy... That was the fault of that little pish of Michael Cohen. You know, people keep saying he was my fixer. I kind of thought... But you know better. He was my little pisher. Like, Mike, go get me a Diet Coke. Mm -hmm. Mike, get the porn star to gummy up. <laughs> I can tell you this. Mm -hmm. He was even crap at getting me a Diet Coke. Mm -hmm. Couldn't hack it. I don't know what it was. He couldn't find a machine, didn't have chains. <laughs> Just a total loser. But, Tom... Mm -hmm. Ask the Chinese or the Russians if they know any more about my taxes than Sleepy Eyes Chuck Todd. Okay. Well, if you're asking me what I think you should uh, do about the uh, Saudis... Damn it, Tom, I got people for that. Mm. I was asking how I was doing on the bomb stuff and the shooting stuff and mm. how that is it's killing our momentum. Right. Sorry. I got distracted. So what do you think? I mean, getting the momentum back yet? Crap. I just wish uh, Pocahontas had waited a couple of weeks to release a phony DNA test. Well, sir, uh, as you know better than almost anybody, timing isn't always something you can control, uh, especially someone else's timing. You know who told me I have great timing? Hmm? David Letterman. Well, Said it to my face during a commercial break. Hmm. Stern, too, but they won't say it on the air. No. So, you know, then it's up to me to say it. Hmm. Gotta do it. Uh, uh, sir, that's... Uh... 
Uh, that's Cassie signaling me about uh, joining the board meeting. Oh, okay, well, don't let the problems of the president of the friggin' United States delay you from your uh, big deal board meeting. <laughs> well... Just teasing you, Tom, hmm. but that's why I never went public. Yeah. Well, that's one reason. Okay, thanks. This helped a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm very glad, sir. And if the Chinese are hearing this, it didn't help at all. Bye-bye, sir. <laughs> Now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. Fox News went into apology mode this week after an earlier broadcast showed two photos of California Senator Kamala Harris during a news alert about a registered sex offender who was believed to have killed a student at the University of Utah. Fox aired a segment showing footage of police and students on the college campus in its report before showing images of Harris. Fox host Jillian Meal Mele 
Apologize on air for the mistake. We showed you the wrong video. We showed you pictures of Senator Kamala Harris instead of the mugshot of the uh, perp. We apologize for that error. A man who subjected a fellow passenger on a Ryanair, that's a discount European airline, flight to a racist tirade has apologized publicly for the first time a week after the incident, claiming he's not a racist and lost his temper a bit. Desi Gale, the woman who David Mesher called, quote, an ugly black bastard, unquote, said his apology was insufficient, added it would take a long time for her to move on for the incident. Mesher made his apology for his behavior, which has since gone viral in a video, in an interview aired uh, later in the week. Ryanair issued a statement saying it was only aware of the footage a day after the incident. I'm not a racist person by any means, and it's it's just a fit of temper at the time, I think. I apologize for all the distress you've had and since, said uh, David Mesher. Trying to get out of his own mesh. An emotional speech delivered before the Australian Parliament and before hundreds of survivors. The Australian Prime Minister said, Today as a nation we confront our failure to listen, to believe, and to provide justice. We say sorry. This is a result of the four-year inquest, revealing shocking evidence of more than 17,000 survivors and allegations against government, church, and private institutions, as well as prominent individuals involved in child sex abuse cases. The Prime Minister said it was time for Australia to confront key questions. Why weren't the children of our nation loved, nurtured, and protected? Why was their trust betrayed? Why did those who know cover it up? Why were the cries of children and parents ignored? Why didn't we believe? He said nothing could be wrong, nothing could be done to right the wrongs inflicted on children. So today, we gather in this chamber in humidity. Lawmakers stood for a minute's silence following the apology. Anything to get lawmakers silent for a minute. Dateline, Raleigh, North Carolina, a Wake County mother says the boy who beat her son in gym class has apologized, but her desire to bring change to how the district deals with violence in school isn't over. Ashley Williams Marble said her 16-year-old son, Wood, is recovering after undergoing surgery. His nose was broken in five places after he was beaten up at Wakefield High School last week. And four other high schools, that would be the other four places. No, not really. The surgery went well. Williams Marble said it's still unclear when he'll return to school. He's having some big side effects from the concussion. The boy responsible for the assault sent a note saying, I'm apologizing you for my actions. My actions were not acceptable, and I should have made better choices. I hope you can forgive me for my bad choices. I understand you're not happy at this moment, and I do feel great guilt for what I did. I did not realize my own strength, and as a result, I hurt someone who did not deserve it. As I said before, I hope you can accept my apology. I will do the best I can to fix this situation. That uh, message was forwarded from the boy by the principal of the school in the thing. The Internet's answer to a real-life Snow White, Kelvin Pena, who goes by the name Brother Nature, has uh, become a social media celebrity for his widely shared wildlife videos. But uh, like many other viral figures of this year, his pre-fame internet activities come back to haunt him. Racist, sexist, and anti-Semitic tweets from his account resurfaced last weekend. 
He's of Dominican and Puerto Rican descent, posted a slew of anti-black sentiments. And as well as Heil Hitler and I'm Hitler, everyone's an effing Nazi. As a teenager, he appeared to idolize singer Chris Brown and expressed some serious disdain for women. He since made his Twitter account private and issued an apology for his behavior, saying that his younger self was, quote, impressionable and seeking attention. I'm sorry to all the people that I offended and have let down. I apologize for 12-year-old Kelvin and take total responsibility for my words. Everyone changes. Everyone learns. Everyone makes mistakes. He's evolved as a human being, he says. I was a child, and I'm now a man. What is this, a bar mitzvah? Now some uh, apologies from media. The editorial cartoon we ran on October 18th has attracted a lot of criticism. This is from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. While we want the paper's editorial page to showcase opinions from divergent points of view, we also strive to maintain a high level of respect and quality of thought. That cartoon did not fulfill that aspiration. I take full apology and apologize for the decision to publish it. What was the cartoon? It presented a satiric field guide to liberals. It mocks how Senator Warren, former NAACP activist Rachel Dolezal, and a transgender woman choose to identify. And a cartoon in the Rochester Business Journal should never have been published, says the editor. We take full responsibility and apologize for our mistake. It does not reflect the views of this publication or its staff. We apologize for offending our readers. We're listening and learning for our mistakes. I don't know what that cartoon was. Sarah Silverman has apologized to comedian Rebecca Corey, two very funny women. One, uh, Sarah, uh, Rebecca was one of the women who last year was reported to have accused Louis C.K. of asking to masturbate in front of them. Uh, Silverman has apologized for comments she made on Howard Stern's show that seemed to defend Louis. She said he'd made the same request of her when they were younger, but she added that unlike the women who came forward with similar claims last year, she was not always disgusted. Corey repeated, he took away a day I worked years for and still has no remorse. He's a predator who victimized women for decades and lied about it. Silverman responded, Rebecca, I'm sorry. This is why I don't like weighing in. I'm sorry, friend. You are so talented and so kind. Dateline Thornton, Colorado, a school district has apologized to parents after hosting a drag queen as part of a career day. That's really all you need to know about that. The bomb suspect threatening people on Twitter. Twitter missed it. Twitter issued a statement Friday night. We made a mistake by not removing the threat. We're deeply sorry for that error. And Mountain Equipment Co-op, the Vancouver, British Columbia-based outdoor retailing giant, apologized this week for using predominantly white models to sell its stuff. In an open letter, the CEO, David Labastor, admitted the company rarely included people of color in its ads and catalogs, perpetuating the idea that the outdoors are for white people only. Outside is for everyone, he said. It's time we acted like it. The imagery has perpetuated the vastly incorrect notion that people of color in Canada don't ski, hike, climb, or camp. His apology was coupled with the unveiling of a new initiative bent on changing the way we represent the outdoor community. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
Well, you can tell the program originates live this week because the record wound up. Ladies and gentlemen, that, with, with, with a wow, is going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time on uh, radio and uh, whenever you want it on your other audio devices of choice. And it'd be just like you choosing an audio device if you'd agree to join with me then, would you? All righty, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Typical show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, not in exile in Hawaii desk. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead. And thanks to Mr. Pittman here at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. And uh, the email address for this program, rarely used now, but you can still use it if you like. The playlist of the music heard here on, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t shirts. Won't the family be surprised when you wear one to, hell, uh, to uh, Thanksgiving? Yes, they will. That's all at harryshare.com. And uh, I remain on Twitter. Can't get me off. I'm at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions. It originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the Crescent City.